Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of CISO Talk, where we talk all things CISO, cyber, security, and whatever else is of interest to our panel. Uh, before we start, let me mention that my regular co-host for CISO Talk, Matt Newfield, uh, Chief Infrastructure Security Officer at Unisys, had the, the nerve to take vacation this week, and so he's not available, so we're going to continue on without him. Of course, Mitchell is here as always. Uh, Mitchell, actually, our CT. Mitchell, of course, CTO at MediaOps and uh, CEO of Accelerated Strategies Group. And then we have a great panel joining us. Let me introduce you to them and allow them to introduce themselves to you a little bit. Let's start off with uh, Nicole Dove, who has been kind enough to come back uh, after doing a show or two with us. Nicole, welcome. Why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks, Alan. It's so great to be back. I'm Nicole Dove. I am a business information security officer at Warner Media, visiting lecturer at Clark Atlanta University, and I host the Urban Girl Corporate World Podcast. Excellent. Thank you and welcome. Joining us also for the first time on CISO Talk is Rob Lee. Hey, Rob, why don't you say, introduce yourself. Hi, thanks for uh, having me as well. Uh, my name is Rob Lee. I'm the uh, Chief Curriculum Director and the Head of Faculty at the uh, Sands Institute. My background goes back 22 years from the United States Air Force being a part of the first operational unit. My forte is in instant response, digital forensics, and chasing bad guys after they've broken into your network. Formerly worked at the US government, Mandiant, and my own consulting firm before joining Sands. Excellent, thanks and welcome, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. And then our, our final, but certainly not our least panel member, is a very, very special guest. Just started her own security company, which has been a long time in the, in the making. Let me introduce you to Jennifer Manella, or JJ. Jennifer, welcome. It's such, such a pleasure to have you here. Hey, Alan. Hey, guys. It's so great to be here. Thanks. Um, you want to give them a little background? I just thought you did that for me. Yeah. So <laughs> No, no, um, no, oh no. I want you to mention the new company name. Come on. Sure, sure. So uh founder and, and principal advisor, uh primarily in cybersecurity and infrastructure security um at Vision Security. Um so I'm working with um technology vendors as well as security conscious organizations to increase their security posture with SOC and NOC teams. Long history of working in the security space um and network infrastructure and um wireless security as well. So really happy to be here with you guys and girls, Miss Nicole. <laughs> yes. Jennifer, how do you spell, you pronounce it vision, but how do you spell it? Oh, it's, um, yeah. So this is what happens with people that get up at four o'clock in the morning. Um, it's V-I-S-Z-E-N. So it's kind of a play on vision and vision. As you guys know, I'm very much into um, mindfulness and balance. So the kind of concept yes, is balance between sock and knock. Yeah. Vision Zen. Excellent. Okay, and welcome, and thanks for being here, Jennifer. So, panel, our discussion today is going to center around cybersecurity training, getting ready the next generation of cybersecurity professionals. You know, when Mitchell and I started, co-founded Still Secure back in the early 2000s, I remember a survey we did back then asking security professionals how they got into security. Something like 75% of the people forgot to take a step backwards when they asked for a volunteer. They were basically network folk who, by hook or crook, got, got 
you know, wrangled into managing a firewall or an early IDS or maybe on the help desk side of things, all of a sudden antivirus became something that they were responsible for. They didn't consciously go into security and there was no formal training, right? SANS was around at the time, but that was for people who were already in security for the most part. Right? They didn't have cybersecurity training in, in colleges or even high schools as we have today. There was no, you know, it was security back then was a lot of people who liked to break things and then try to put them back together better, right? That you couldn't break them. Of course, the world's changed. And today we have a ton of cybersecurity training. But if you talk to a lot of hiring people and a lot of people in the field, they're saying that, you know what, these people coming out of these programs, they're really not qualified yet. Or they, you know, it, it's not what it should be. What do you think? Rob, you know, as, as someone from the SANS Institute, you, you're the logical expert here. What do you, what do you think? What, what, have, we, have we done a good job preparing tomorrow's security professionals? Or is there something terribly amiss here it's it's hard to say but when i send it i would say yes it's actually we actually have a really hard problem uh, ahead of us and it's kind of twofold number one trying to talk to those especially younger in college to see that this is a career field that this is something that is that they should take a stab at is difficult because most of the time that you're in these programs early on they try to route people into computer science, you know, saying, hey, computer science is the way of the path forward. I, I was a uh, astronautical engineer. I no formal training in computer science, but I still ended up in cyber. And a lot of my peers found their way the same way. So it's more of, you know, do you have an affinity for technology? But the hard part is trying to get those early core principles taught to them in a way that makes it exciting and fun. And that's where doing more of the gamification, trying to get high schoolers involved in clubs, uh, college level programs uh, that are really trying to guide them early on and say, hey, this may be a career field for you. The second part of it is those who are looking for reskilling um, that are, you know, maybe they're 30, 35 years old and saying, hey, you know, I'm looking over there. It looks like there's a lot of need for jobs in cybersecurity, but I have no idea where to begin. It looks like if I walk into any average training location, including SANS, it's all advanced, 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 intermediate, you know, style programs. And it's really, really hard to find the ones that are saying, hey, if you're brand new to this, this is where you should probably start. The opposite side of that is the HR side. You know, they're trying to recruit people, as you just said, that say, hey, I need someone who can actually do the job I'm hiring them for. And how do I know that they have the requisite skills? Is it through certifications? Is it they have to do a requisite, you know, battery of training? Do I hire them and then train them? And as soon as they get trained, they're going to go somewhere else. So a lot of the folks that I, I find it kind of interesting on the HR side, they'll put a brand new security analyst, junior analyst, three years experience, computer science degree. And, you know, trying to work with HR teams is saying, I think that is a, that's a mid-tier analyst that you actually put in for a new one. And they say, no, we know that, but we're just trying to find people that actually do the job. So there's this really hard push on both sides is can't we train people to get to their first job in cybersecurity to where they're actually usable? And right now that is a significant challenge, not only for the SANS Institute, but for the industry as a whole. 
I agreed. Agreed. Panel, feel free to jump in here with, with thoughts. Yeah, I think just uh, my, my own experience working, you know, with, with you, Alan, and, and with, with the, the panel in the industry for this long, yeah, I, I think about um, it's, it's no longer sort of an accident, stumble into it, sort of as you described it, <laughs> how maybe you or I got into it or others at that time. But there, there's a lot of interest around security because um, it pays well. There's a lot of interest in, in cybersecurity because there's a lot of need. And I don't know what guidance, if they still have guidance counselors and you take those tests for what kind of an affinity should be a doctor or a lawyer or a cybersecurity engineer or how they you know, have those kind of criteria. I think we have to appeal, appeal to the natural affinity of people. Are you, are, are you someone who likes technology, who likes to get in and and tinker and play and break kind of as you, as you described. And that's where the hackathons and, and the, the things for cybersecurity capture the flag, creating those kind of events. What, what a great pool for saying, okay, great. Come on over. Um, let's have you, let's, let's give you some experience. Let's get you into this process. That's certainly one way. I mean, you know, Jennifer, you, you and I and Alan have worked together for a while in this field and, you know, it's evolved. And I know you've worked with a lot of companies. I'm really curious if you've, if you see some new approaches that we might want to take. Yeah. And I guess to roll back a little bit, um, Rob, I mean, as something just kind of popped into my head that I really hadn't thought about um, until, until you said something that jogged this, but I think, you know, technology always changes quickly. But I feel like the industry is changing more quickly right now, um, and not even really from a skills perspective, but from a acronym perspective. Um, so what I mean by that is, you know, for a long time we, you know, we had we had switching, we had routing, we had firewalls, we had these these things that were kind of prevalent. They didn't change too much over the course of time. And then you look at kind of the, the evolution, the cycle of those, you know, technologies or products now, and Things like on the networking side, right, EVPN and VXLAN technologies and S SDN and then um, XDR, but it was MDR and there's EDR. And these, these skills are shifting every few months because there's new marketing terms or, or new technologies, air quote. Um, and I think for, you know, for a long time, some of the larger companies, and, and Nicole, I bet you have a bunch of experience with this, you know, the larger companies were kind of a great way to build that pipeline because they had the resources to bring in and somebody new, whether it was, you know, reskilling or a student coming in, um, work through that internship and that mentorship, do that training, give them the skills, and then kind of release them back into the wild. Um, and that's, that's not a valid solution and pipeline when we're in an innovation cycle where that's spinning faster than these companies can ingest and then, right, evolve, um, mm -hmm. evolve and grow those professionals and spit them back out to us. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll tell you, Jennifer, I, you know, summing up what you just said, I, I think what it happens is a lot of companies, and, and Nicole, I'm interested in if this is what happens at Time Warner, is it's easier to hire these people than to grow these people, right? To, to keep these people up to speed, up to code, right, on the latest and greatest is an investment. It's an investment by those people in their career. It's an investment by their employers in making sure they stay up to date on stuff. And, and let's face it, the average person stays in their cybersecurity job for 14 or 18 months and they, and they book, right? So as a Time Warner, how much money you want to invest 
in a cyber person who's going to leave in a year and a half. Right? Interested in your take. It's interesting. So we've got a really, and I work in the information security office at, at Warner Media, and you know, I, th- I think a lot of it depends on the actual function within security that we're speaking to, right? So from an information security perspective, what I'm finding is that most of the folks who are traditionally cha- uh, trained in areas of um, anything across the board, um, te- more tech related, they don't, they're very laser focused on uh, developing a task or developing software or infrastructure or networking. Um, but there's always the space for us to come in and help them embed security into what they're doing. So the skills for that are a little bit different, right? Some of the things that I'm really interested in are an innovative problem solver, right? Somebody who can influence, somebody who can negotiate, Um, I recently just hired a manager to work on my team, and he's been a software um, engineer for all of his career, maybe six or seven years. But he's always had this interest in security, and he's great because him and I can come into a conversation with the development team. He can speak their language, and then we can also begin to think about how to influence them to shift left and how to do that in a way um, that's effective and efficient. Um, When I started in cybersecurity, I had no formal training, right? A lot of my skills were transferable. And I kind of just got thrown in the water and like, hey, figure it out, right? And I think that my leadership, and this was at my previous company, felt comfortable doing that because I think they understood that sometimes the softer skills um, are a bit tougher to train on than the technical skills, um, but it's all about finding a balance because you can't have a full team of soft skill people with no technical expertise, right? That's definitely not going to work. So I think it's it's a little bit about company culture, what type of people are successful, what the need of the organization is, and making sure that across the board, I think going forward, we all need to have both that good balance of technical expertise and business acumen because information security is quickly becoming something of interest to boards, to leaders. A lot more companies are asking for SOC reports, right? Um, all these different SaaS paths, you know, vendors are coming um, into play and um, we've got to definitely keep it balanced. Yeah. I mean, Rob, how, you know, talk, not asking you to talk on behalf of SANS, but in light of where SANS is and what it's doing, you know, how, you know, how do you deal with like, the problem Jennifer mentioned, which is the cybersecurity industry, maybe like I've never seen in all my 25, 30 years here, is really in a a state of flux in terms of there's so much new coming out, there's so much spotlight on what we need, you know, we need to do better. It's so important, more important than ever, it seems. Um, how How is SANS you know, helping to, I mean, how do you guys make sure you're, you're staying current and giving people the skill sets they need to be successful here? Well, it is definitively challenging. Um, when you take a look at, you know, Jennifer hit the nail on the head, you know, you know, just take a look at what cloud was even five years ago. If you were trying to write a course in cloud, and we were for, uh, you know, many years, just trying to find an expert who had the experience to be able to sit down and train others 
it's, you know, the skills just weren't there yet. We, we couldn't even find the experts out there to potentially say, hey, you could go train someone. Now we have, but, you know, take a lot of our cloud courses. As soon as you have something written down as a lab, six weeks later, the entire interface changes and the entire infrastructure changes of what you're, what you're trying to train them on. So we're rapidly constantly having to upgrade our labs and our update cycles have reduced from you know about three or four months down to weeks in certain times, especially in these newer technology areas, uh, especially cloud, um, as we're heading down that. The other side of what we're uh, what we're really trying to do is that you know we have a lot of, especially for the new stuff, you know, cloud has to be taught at lower levels. You know, you have to teach that to those just coming up. You have to under have them understand how uh, the computing in the cloud works as software as a service is potentially deployed, what these terms mean, um, you know, the boundary network, the enterprise network that we're all trying to defend, you know, with, you know, perimeter defense is something that is, we're going to look back on like the Maginot line that says, yeah, who was doing that? Why were you doing it that way? Um, so we have to consistently force ourselves to take a look at these different topics and say, is that even relevant anymore? Um, we have a team of people going through a course where if we have something that's referencing an event that's older than two years, we have to say that's too old now. We actually have to update that to clonal pipeline. We have to update that to the latest stuff. And it is challenging because it's very easy to sit on your laurels and say, oh, you know, the, the stuff that happened in 2009 is still a really good example but something in 2009 that was, you know, very newsworthy at that point, and we're talking around that point, 2009 to 2012, the APT1 report came out, the Chinese APT was everywhere. They still are, but using those as examples of how they're potentially breaking in systems and still exploding, some things are still true, spear phishing and, and the like, but a lot of the ways that they're potentially using uh, the sales supply chain to be able to penetrate what just happened with solar winds. I mean, it is incredible that you have to really strive to be able to keep things up to date. And it stresses me out because I have to really work with my authors is saying, hey, do you feel that your stuff, if someone looks at it today versus in five years, you know, what is that expiration date in terms of that that is still relevant? And in the cloud side of our curriculum, it is weeks of you know, churn that we sometimes find in order to keep things up to date. It's really stressful, but you know, it's something that you know we've signed on to try and accomplish. But to Jennifer's point is you know, something that is advanced, you know, today is going to be considered beginner even a year or two from now. And somehow how to balance that and how to get someone, what about all the other stuff, how to do uh, IPv4, IPv6. Some of these cores were never going to go away, but you still need to get them to understand it in order to get to the point where they're talking cloud. So my head hurts a little bit. It says there's so much material that is now on the intro side in order to get to someone to be a usable person in their first job in cyber. And so it's like, right. what you know, the, the question I have for a lot of CISOs out there is that when I ask for their list of their first, you know, what is the qualifications? What do you need someone to actually do in their first job in cyber? And they give me a laundry list of, you know, all these, like every per person has to have all these skills. I said, well, you're not going to get that. Yeah. What, you know, if you could choose five of those skills, what are they? So they could actually become a usable employee. Because if you only have them 14 to 16 months, we should start focusing in on just the core skills and then build there, like, you know, entry level position one, the entry level position two. But I can't get a lot of the CISOs and those in HR to, is because we're really trying to get that feedback. 
what are those core skills? And yeah, we yeah. That so we could deliver someone more usable versus a generic body that you still have to train to do their job. And you got right to the hot button there. <laughs> the, the trigger, the trigger. <laughs> I think, Rob, no. you need your best diffused by on all your, you know, I'm a, a yeah. like, that's right. Well, well, but but then he brings up another issue, and I think it's what Nicole touched on too, right? So, you know, you need you need someone who's adaptable, who has some good business background, maybe, who understands what the big picture is. But we see too many jobs, right? You know, we want a Kubernetes expert who has a bachelor's and master's, has at least started their PhD program, and has ten years of experience in Kubernetes, which has been out for five years, right? And then we say, Bob, we can't find anyone to fill this job. Oh, and we're paying 65000 because it's an entry-level position, right? Right, right. Oh, we, we can't find anyone to find this job. It goes back to, you know, what kind of person do we want in our cybersecurity industry, right? As Nicole is in, in, in you know, in, in Warner Media or... In, in some of the companies that you all deal with, right? So our friends over in DevOps Institute do the upskilling report and all that. And they, they talk a lot about an eye-shaped individual, right, who has one major skill, so it's just an eye. And then you have a T-shaped individual who, who maybe has one major skill but then has some nice general skills that fit on top of it. And then you have sort of that broom-shaped skilled individual who has a lot of strong things. If we just focus in on security, as, as I think Jennifer said in the beginning, there's so many different aspects of security today within network security, within cloud security, within data security or and endpoint security and, and all of the DevSecOps, AppSec, right? You, you almost need, do you need that broom-shaped person, that broom-skilled person who has many different things or are we still better off with a good generalist who who's who's malleable who's trainable who, who we could is fungible that we can move around nicole what do you think i think we need all of those guys on one team <laughs> that's what i think <laughs> if you can find them and their phd all, candidates right yeah <laughs> good luck with that but you know right. my question as i'm listening to you unpack some of the issues one of the things that that rings loud, Alan, is folks are only staying in roles for 14 to 16 months. Why is that? I think that's a, a something that we've got to solve for, right? And people typically, you know, they say people typically don't leave jobs, they leave managers. So are these managers not giving people the opportunity to develop across other areas, right? It's, it's, um, it's interesting. I think Again, it depends on the company and what the needs are. Um, but to to shift left again, why is it that as folks are building domain expertise, security is not a part of that curriculum, right? Like, is it too idealistic to think that someday we would never need such a heavy focus on security because security is so embedded into every domain expertise? I mean, that's idea. I don't know if it would ever yeah. happen, right? Um, but I just think that as whether it's at the, the college level, you know, these executive programs, booster trainings or whatever, we focus so much on concepts 
But I don't know that we pull security into that talk track to think about how to embed it there. And that might be a big, big opportunity. Could be. I mean, Jen, Jennifer, you were at one employer for 20 years, right? But you also saw a lot of people come and go. People you skilled along the way, people who came to you with skills. How, how do you respond to, to what Nicole's talking about there? Uh, I, I hate saying I agree. Um, I, I definitely <laughs> do agree, but uh, you know, I think I maybe a couple different points of view. So, so my role, you know, and, and that company's role being an integrator is a little bit different because, you know, you're asking somebody to be a expert on several types of products and technologies, at least in our, in our company, right? You, you need to know switch route. You need to know firewall. You need to know, you, you need to know wireless to a certain degree because, you know, it, we service a breadth of customers, hundreds, thousands of customers. Um, and you need to just kind of go in and not have to go, oh, wait, let me stop and ask somebody else about this. Um, so so my experience is, is kind of specialized in niche when it comes to that. But definitely, I guess, kind of rolling back and, and tying together something Nicole said to something Rob said. Because, um, Rob, you were talking about the changing, the, the changes um and iterations and I think the user interface in cloud and how, right, you have to like update training and everything because it, it changes so quickly. Um, and that's not just cloud. I mean, it, it kind of is, but our entire world now is living in cloud. So if you look at, you know, on the networking side, um, just, just to kind of give a holistic picture here, um, you know, one of, one of the challenges I know, you know, a couple of the tech manufacturers are having is, you know, they're, um, they're, they have interfaces that are driven by APIs on the back end, and the, the interface is just a visual representation of how the product manager decided to show that to you that day. And it changes every two weeks sometimes. Um, and the challenge with that is so for me, I don't care. I understand the technology and I understand the product, and I, I know where I did I need to go find something, and maybe it's just on a different screen. But when you don't have somebody that has that foundational knowledge and that experience, I think that's a lot more challenging. And I kind of always relate this to dance. So you guys know I'm a competitive dancer of many years at ballroom and swing and all kinds of stuff. And it's the same thing there, right? You learn a series of patterns and steps that are not, not only common within one dance, but they're shared across 10, 12, 15 dances. And so, you know, you can walk out onto a floor and if you're skilled in those things, you can follow anybody in any dance, literally anybody in any dance that they can lead it. And that's kind of the way I, you know, translate, you know, technical knowledge, whether it's, you know, security specific or just, you know, application development, sysadmin, network admin, is you kind of have to have those found. If you want to be wildly successful and be well-rounded, it's easier to go into that with that foundational knowledge and know how the pieces fit together and then, and then, you know, maybe kind of vertically do your eye or do your T or your broom or whatever off of that. Um, and, and certainly there's room for the specialists that only do this, this thing or know this thing. Um, but they have to at least understand the concepts and the foundational knowledge of whatever that thing is. They can't just know, I need to click this button on this screen and then go to that screen. And so I think that's the foundational knowledge, which probably Rob you know, it's something you guys try to, you know, build people up to that point instead of just throwing them into a pen testing training, right? That pen testing doesn't work if you don't understand applications and, and the network layer and everything else. Um, 
And I think mm-hmm. what I've heard from Rob is that you were a rocket scientist and you haven't figured this out yet. So I don't know that there's hope for the rest of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nor can we yeah. dance. So I'm not sure, yeah. sure what that says. Hey, for speak for yourself, Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, I can. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, but, you know, you know, it's very true. It's, it's very true. And, and I think that is another sort of dark undertone of, of today's topic, which is, you know, are we, when we talk about filling our cybersecurity roles, are we looking for unicorns, right? Mythical creatures that don't exist. Have we, has the job become and has the task become so hard that we just are incapable of, of, of making, growing, graduating, training enough people to do this Tough job. It's a tough job. And, and security's always been hard. I'm sorry, Mitch. Good. Yeah, no. Maybe it comes with the gray hair gray hair here, but um, maybe you take the long game, you know, take the long view approach here, right? If you're you know, we've been in all been in the industry, you know, different lengths of time, but enough to know that there's solving for the short-term need. I need, per, I need, think of people as widgets that go in slots, right? And there are a lot of people that think that right way, right? I need a person X to fill this, to do that, a person Y to do that. When, when in fact, what it's about is we all know, and we're all good examples of this, you know, you're going to work with people in this, cur- in this career, possibly multiple times, right? We've known Jennifer a long, long time. Nicole's become a good friend. Rob, we know all the way back to Stephen Northcutt, you know, in, in the early Sands days. So as, as, a, as a leader, you're, you're thinking on multiple levels. Yeah, I'm growing and helping cultivate. I may be going to the high school things and helping people with those fundamental skills and talking to Rob about, hey, who's some sharp folks that have kind of gotten past that first step and, you know, that I might think about hiring if they've taken the pen test course or whatever it is. And then as well as present opportunities that people can pursue because they want to be a product specialist, because they want to be a specialist in an area, because they want to be a broom. I like lots of things. You know, a good path. I work with a gentleman by the name of Nixon, extremely sharp dude who started in the auditing part of it. You get a lot of exposure to a lot of things. The the dude is smart to start with, but he's got so much knowledge in a very short period of time from that experience. So, you know, I'm kind of rambling here, but I think you have to kind of play it at all levels, right? And it's our role as leaders to invest in people and invest in a way that helps them grow wherever they are today and and believe that there's some point where I might... I might have hired Nicole, but I might work for Nicole at my next job. That's happened to me, not specifically with Nicole, but it is. It just is the world we're in. Well, to go back I have to a question. That, no, sorry. Go ahead, Rob. I was just going back to something that Nicole said earlier about the soft skills. And I see this and have seen this routinely is that you get, you get a lot of folks in you know their first couple jobs and they are very technical but they don't have any really direct management. How do you potentially run a small team? You know, it's, it's interesting. If you ever go to the leadership training, it's almost like they're trying to design you to be the next CEO or, you know, chief product officer or something like that versus can you run a team of three? 
Do you know how to, you know, take care of them and make sure that they have their tasks and not micromanage them? You know, I see a lot of those in technology because they're so, you know, you know, type A personalities that they will go in and tell everyone exactly what to do for their jobs and start to reduce the creativity. And you take a look at, you know, like very, you know, I, I read a lot of books, um, you know, about how Pixar was formed and Creativity Inc. And I look at that creativity process because it's no different than what we're potentially trying to accomplish with our technologists in cybersecurity is how do you keep that team-based ability to be and give candor to your teammates without having them feel that you're insulting them? And how do you have the team leads work with them? and generate that environment. These are the soft skills Nicole was talking about that are so essential now. If we're gonna break that 14th month umbrella in order to get people to say, we're gonna invest more in you, we have to have them feel that they have a home, that they have a team, that they like being there, that they're energized for work and they feel valued. It's so as much important as the technologies. <clears throat> Sorry. It's okay. Jennifer? Yeah, I, well, I feel like somebody's going to think Rob and I were IMing on the background because he went, <laughs> he went barking up the same tree I was about to go tackle. And I'm, what I was going to say is I wanted to ask kind of Nicole's um, thought on this too, is, you know, so I'm, again, you know, I don't want to get into the details of this and don't go down a rabbit hole, but I, I found myself going from a very technical individual contributor role to managing a team suddenly um, and was was so horribly bad at it. Um, and didn't want to do it, frankly, um, that I invested a lot of, you know, my time and money into developing those skills. So one of the challenges now having, you know, managed teams and, and been a leader and, and kind of mentored or coached other people in the profession that are at the practitioner level, you know, one of the things that I've kind of learned, and I think a lot of things in security come back to people um, and, and the human element. Um, is it, you know, I think sometimes it's a, I don't want to call it a personality thing, uh, but I think it's a, a combination, a culmination of whether it's, you know, this side where there's a lot of ego driving um, certain behaviors or the flip side where, you know, things are progressing so quickly that it's hard for a professional, especially a new one, to be confident in their skills, right? And, and to kind of establish themselves and hold their ground and one of the great examples, uh, and I can't remember what book this was in, but uh, it was it was referencing um, a long history of um, airline flight accidents across the world. And there was this interesting kind of these data points around, you know, where there were cultures of, you know, this person's in charge, don't ever question them. There were a lot more accidents. I mean, exponentially more accidents, simply because the co-pilot can, you know, didn't have the, the confidence or the balls to stand up to the pilot and go, you're making a bad decision. This is what we need to do. Um, and, and I don't, you know, the, the little bit of a parallel there is just, you know, even if we're making it inviting for them, and even if we're giving them growth opportunities, even if we're doing X, Y, and Z, which is all stuff that has to be done. I feel like there's this other kind of sub-layer of developing them as a human and developing, you know, I, I base that on mindfulness, which is, be comfortable with yourself. You're here for a reason. We picked you for a reason. Um, be confident in your skills. And we're going to, let's figure out how to get you confident if you're not. Um, and, you know, working through what it means, because usually at some point there is some progression, right? 
individual contributor to managing a small team to something else. The first thing is not everybody wants to do that. Uh, and that's okay. And I think we should make that, you know, that clear and make sure they're in an environment where that's supported. Um, but if it is of interest, and this is where I've, you know, found myself. So this is one of my offerings now with my new company is, is, is technical coaching and mentoring for practitioners to kind of get them over this hump. Um, because I feel like so many organizations lose good people, not because they weren't nurtured um, professionally, but I don't think they've been grown and nurtured and they don't have, they don't necessarily have good role models. Like their manager might not be a good manager and it's not that they're a bad person, right? They didn't have those skills either. So this person doesn't have anybody to learn from. It's contentious and they just, they bail either because, you know, it they're leaving a manager or there's just enough friction within the team. Um, and they, they're really not sure how to progress because nobody's supporting that. So that was long. I didn't mean it to be that long, but Nicole, I'm kind of curious what you think. Yeah, I'll say um, most of the problems that I find myself solving are not tech problems. They're people problems, right? Um, and a lot of what I work with, with my direct report is not you need to take this training or learn how to do this thing. It's understanding what their strengths and opportunities are um, and being able to effectively place them um, on projects that help enhance those while still um, highlighting and letting their strengths shine through, right? Um, A lot of it is, is, is servant leadership, right? That's really what it's all about. And those are the type of environments where I think most people, um, thrive well. When I first became a leader, I was like, oh, this is great. Everybody's going to listen to me now and do everything that I say. (laughs) But that was totally not what happened, right? Being a leader was really about understanding what people's needs are and helping them, you know, down that path of success and, and make progress and roadblocks. And sometimes that is technical, right? And sometimes it's soft skills, but a lot of it is even within the security function across the board, it's it's building relationships, um, establishing trust with my business partners, um, intellectual curiosity, innovative problem solving, um, and a lot of times overcoming imposter syndrome. And I think that's probably what a lot of the new yeah. security folks are dealing with, and even some more mature ones, you would be really surprised. So I, I totally agree with both the points you, Jennifer, and that Rob made is right. It's really a, just about building the collective. And I think once we're able to kind of have that 360 approach of good leadership, good training ground, good opportunity, we'll start to see some, some that that needle move a little bit in, in how people show up and how long they stick around. Yeah, I, I think that with you know, specifically the CISOs, right? This CISO talk. We, we had this problem and it, and it set back the success and adoption of CISO as a true C-level uh, officer for a long time. Because typically what would happen is for CISO, they would pick a good security person, someone who really understood security pop, you know, technology, really understood they had their CISSP, right? And they had their SANS training certificate. And they knew security technology. They knew the final points of PCI compliance and 
There was no GDPR, right? But, you know, these kinds of things. But they were miserable managers. They were very inexperienced team leaders. They didn't understand how to empower and enable and grow the people on their team. They knew how to do security programs, but not how to manage security people. And that's a very, very important part of the CISO role, right? You, it's a rare bird that you're a one-man security team as a CISO. Maybe, maybe there's some out there, I don't know. But for the most part, when you're a CISO, you're, you're managing. You're managing a team of security folk. And, you know, that's, that's going to be one of the most important skill sets, I think, that you, you bring to your job. Not how well you know how to use Metasploit or, or configure, you know, your wireless security or, you know, any other kind of technical skill set like that. You know, I think w one step you could also take in what you're saying, Alan, is for the CISO or the person looking to become the CISO, it's not the technical skills. It's the, it's the communication skills to talk to non-technical people, even yep. more so having the business domain and business language. Because guess what? You know, it's sort of the, you get a lot more flies with honey kind of thing, right? If you can speak business language, Nicole, you're living this, right? And <laughs> this is your world. You don't go to the CEO and say, you know, we had, we had a, we had a SYNAC problem, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and they're going to be like, yeah, go back, send me an email. I'll read it later. But that's that they have the same problem and maybe even including the imposter syndrome that you talked about. So it's, it's really up the chain because. It, it's not just about technology. It's not about the best hacker that you can't put in front of and, uh, you know, somebody else and just keep them in a dark room. That's not the world we live in. There, there are those folks, but most of us have to interface with the rest of the organization. Matter of fact, we have to talk to software developers. We have to work with auditors. We have to work with product leaders, everybody. So to your point, Nicole, and what you're saying, Jennifer, too, is that it's, it's growing people not in just one technical dimension. Including harder. No, sorry, Rob. I was just jumping. It's even harder today because with what's happened over the past year and a half, most organizations have become almost nearly ninety to one hundred percent virtual. What I'm seeing in a lot of organizations I'm talking to is that managing teams remotely on Zooms, like even what we are now, and how to do that interface, and you know how to have that connection, and what does it mean mental health, all these things is it, no one has it solved. And you're essentially managing a team of personalities like a bunch of JPL NASA engineers that, you know, it's not an average team of individuals. They're all very um, high, you know, intellectual, highly motivated, highly competitive individuals that sometimes find just getting on calls like this is, hey, you're getting in my way of actual productivity. Why am I here? And then the opposite side is you also have to realize that some people just don't like working in teams in some instances. It's a personality thing. And that's why I tell some of my managers, I say, you know, every now and then you're going to get a really, really good person that their best position is the lone wolf. And they go on a task and they're just going to go tackle it. But sometimes you try to force a lone wolf on a team. So you got to recognize, oh, that, you know, like, like what Nicole and Jennifer are saying is that these personalities and what they're uh, you know accustomed to and now with covid and virtual i'm i feel bad for a lot of people really trying to manage through this right now because there's no book we're back to where we were 20 years ago with the you had to kind of figure it out 
and you're kind of talking in these forums here. It's like, how are you guys dealing with the COVID thing, with dealing with everyone from home? Are you going back to the office? How's that handling? And what are we dealing with the infrastructure? How many meetings do you have? What is the culture surrounding that? Um, it's challenging. And it goes, you know, goes back to the core set of how do we hire someone all the way up to how do we train someone on the human side and technology side, all the way into what is the culture that the CISO and the commander's intent that they're trying to tell everyone to say, we're all in this together. And you could do the rah-rah talks all day long on these Zoom calls, but is really that the touch points that everyone's needing to feel connected and productive and valued in the organization. Absolutely. Guys, I hate to do this, but we're out of time here. We're probably in overtime even, but what a great discussion. Um, you know, I, I hope we figure this out as an industry, not just the f five of us, but, um, you know, it, it, this. I'm going to end it with this. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Security's been hard. Security's been too hard for a long time. I don't think it's getting necessarily any easier. We need, we need better technology. We need better solutions. We need great people. We need great management. We need great focus in it. And let, you know, but I do know this, we don't have a choice but to do that because we also need great security. Anyway, that's going to do it for this uh, edition of CISO Talk. Nicole Dove, from Warner Media, thank you. Rob Lee from from uh, Sands Institute, thank you, and keep up the great work. Jennifer Manella, best of luck on the new company, Viz Zen Security. And you know what, Jen? Why don't you give people the the website so they can maybe check it out? Sure. All right. Well, it's uh, it's pretty straightforward. So it's um, it's Vision V I S Z E N Security dot com, and I'm Very easy cool. to find on Twitter with JJX. Absolutely. Good luck with it, Jennifer. Mitchell, as always, man, great job. Thanks for joining. Uh, we will be back in, I guess, two weeks. Matt Newfield, hopefully he'll be back from vacation. Mitchell and Matt will be co-hosting CISO Talk going forward. We'll still have great guests. Until then, everyone, be well and be safe. This is Alan Schimmel. We're out.